And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners all across the universe and our slightly preferred podcast audience, as always. Why do we prefer you? Well, just because we do. <laughs> Stefan uh, and Dave are going to take it away with news. I understand we're, we we went from having a, a, a moment of seeming like it was a dry news week, and now we're packed to the rafters as, as always. So I'm just going to let you guys take it straight away. Go ahead. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, so the, the the show is... I have, I have a theme for the show. I have, a, I have a bit of a theme for the show, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm working on... It's, it's going to seem... It's going gonna, it's gonna to slowly build. This is going to slowly build? Yes. Okay. Uh, and and the, on the first story, new story, it doesn't seem to exactly fit with the theme, but I think okay. as the theme goes on, uh, it'll become more clear. It's going to be theme, serendipitous, or it's going to be uh, already premeditated? Oh, it's a little premeditated. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, the theme really is... Um, that as we sort of enter the the election season mm-hmm. uh, for, for for the federal election season, of course, yeah. uh, we are we're sort of looking at a at a field right now that is, I would say, uh, depressing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and I think the and my, my, the theme really is that I think Canada is in a in a very specific moment, mm-hmm. in that we are currently poised to be left behind. Uh, by whom? By by the rest of the world. Okay. I think that we are. I think Canada is sort of a slightly off track with much of the world, uh, and and so what we're going to see, what, unless we have some sort of real leadership, I think in the next, I would say four to seven, or four to eight years, uh-huh. uh, we are we are totally going to be left behind by the whole world, and I'll explain this slowly at why as we go through the news stories generally. Okay. Um, so as I mentioned, the first story doesn't exactly seem to tie into this, but I think, but I'm, but it's going to. Because uh, the first story is actually com- is, is sort of co- covering more fully something mentioned last week, uh, which was the fact that a second uh, a second gigantic cyclone has hit uh, Mozambique. So let's start there. Just five weeks after one of the biggest storms ever to make landfall in the southern hemisphere, an event worse an even worse storm has hit the same area of southeastern Africa with winds over 135 miles per hour. While the previous storm, Cyclone Edai, almost entirely destroyed the city of Bera, the second Cyclone Kenneth has, has displaced an additional 160,000 people and destroyed 30,000 homes. The aftermath of the storm could lead to floods and landslides as aid workers are having trouble getting to the area because of the widespread devastation. This is the first time that two cyclones have landed in Mozambique in one season let alone two of the strongest ever. We can expect, however, more damage from such storms in the coming years due to the climate changes we are aggressively worsening each year as our runaway train of greed and glory continues to sacrifice the living planet so that wealthy people, who never really feel like they're wealthy enough, can go on boring resort vacations, eat cheap meat, and complain about each other on iPads. This is because warmer air holds more moisture, slows down the storms so they drop more water, and is rising the sea levels, which make the stor- makes the storm surges more damaging. It's possible that climate change might also be causing storms to intensify faster. In this case, uh, Cyclone Kenneth went from a Category 1 hurricane to a Category 4 in a single day. That's Cyclone. I guess I don't know the difference. It has added at least another uh, 168,000 people to the 1.8 million that were already in need of aid after Cyclone Edai. So I, I might be incorrect, but I believe a cyclone is uh, is a relatively is is no yeah I think so I think a cyclone is just a hurricane in the southern hemisphere, I believe. 
That's a bold statement. Uh, I'm quite certain. I'll accept I, it. I think my grade, if my, if I'm remembering my grade seven science project correctly. Uh, but okay, so so let's start here. Um, uh, first, obviously, this is this. I think this this type of storm and this type, the fact that you see multiple storms hitting the same place. This happened obviously last year uh, during hurricane season uh, in the in the southern parts of that states, um, where we're not we're not just one hurricane hit, but there's this threats of a second one, um, and so we see these types of. Uh, of storms and types of, of things increasing and and that's you know no news to our listeners obviously and and so to start here this is the 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 first part of why Canada is sort of heading in the wrong direction I think uh, is is that uh, if we are going to be in the right place if we're going to respond effectively to to climate change the first thing we have to be trying to figure out is how to uh, how to create space for uh, the people who are impacted by climate change uh, to to become to uh, to be able to move, you know, we've talked about this sort of right of free movement previ- on previous episodes, and the fact that the liberals uh, are sort of and the are, are currently is, is currently tracking pretty heavily to the right, uh, you know, with Bill C ninety seven, which they've just implemented, which, which they've just put forward, uh, which does a series of amendments to the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, um, which one of the things that they're moving towards is is closing third, you know, is trying to is trying to find ways to to deport refugees faster, uh, to to find ways to str- to limit uh, Immigration in, in other ways, uh, or at least to, to to allow for them to remove people from the country much more quickly, um, and and generally sort of make Canada a less welcoming place. You know, um, uh, Andrew Coyne has an article in the National Post, which the title is: in, "In two years, liberals go from hashtag welcome to Canada to, to Canada to deportations without hearings." Um, and uh, you know, Andrew Coyne has his own flaws, but the fact that a conservative uh, talking point is sort of seeing that sort of shift, I think, is important to note that that this is where we're heading. We're we're, we're heading in the opposite direction of of, of 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 from a climate justice lens, for sure. Um, and, and not only from that, from, from, but mostly from a lens of, you know, the, the sort of general belief that and the general truism uh, that immigration helps the country where the immigrants come to. This is a, it's a benefit for the country. Um, and so and so that is, I think, the first first place that we see this sort of move. Um, and, and the second uh, has more to do with the sort of the increase in um, the increase that we have seen in these storms leads to a kind of fundamental question of our of our of the, of the capitalist system we have, um, which again is sort of beleaguering a point we've sort of mentioned previously. Um, but uh, so much of what we do right now is built on insurance and the ability to get insurance. Um, that as places become less and less insurable, any type of economic growth in those areas b- built on the idea of debt and insured debt uh, or debt and insurance is 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 gone. No one is going to invest in places where they cannot, where they where, that they cannot get insured. People are not going to build houses in places that will not be insured. Um, and if they do, those houses will not be able to grow wealth in the same set of people because they won't be able to keep on to the, that wealth. Like it is fundamentally going to mess with our system that is built on the idea that we can insure things effectively. Um, and so, and so the idea that we are, so I think that's one symptom of a, of a, of a misstep that I think the. That that Canada is making more widely. What does that have to do with Canada specifically in terms of insurance? Well, I th- the 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 point is that the where, so good point. So to bring it back one to sort of return to a question, which is that right now we in Canada we are existing in a place where every every major talking point, uh, every major infrastructure uh, talk conversation uh, is still so deep in the oil conversation. 
You know, we are living in a world in which everyone in any conservative uh, or any type of business point will go on about disruption and say disruption 75 times in a, a meeting. And yet we are still bound to these leaders of conservative thinking who are, you know, who feel like who feel destined to have the divine right of the status quo. Right. The idea that where we how, how we exist now will how we always exist. And and the, and the insurance is one example of the short run- runway we really have left with this type of world. Um, and so and so the fact that Canada right now exists in a world where uh, all our major infrastructure projects are are moving oil and not people. You know, like, and yet all we're hearing from anyone who knows anything is that the major question in the future is how to move people. But when is the last time the federal government or, 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 the, or, or that Canada generally has really come together on a true infrastructure project to help people move? You know, in the last couple of years, we've lost a, the only bus route that served uh, a decent percentage of, of, of the prairies. And, and yet, and then that just went the way of the dodo, you know. Um, and, and so we are, uh, is that a crisis of imagination, I think, is how I would describe it. Um, and, and there's... And there's more and more and more examples of other parts of the world figuring this out. And the concern I honestly have is that we'll get in another conservative, we'll get in a sort of a, a backwards thinking um, in some capacity uh, leadership uh, in the fall. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have a whole host of people so devoted to the status quo. And then you'll get a true disruption in, in the United States election in 2020. Uh, and the world will leave us behind. This is my fear. Uh, if I'm fearing for Canada generally, it's great news if for the world uh, for us to be left behind at this point, considering how much climate pariahs we already are. But this is the concern I have. Uh, and I think our next story sort of ex- is, a, is one example of the, f- the way that we are uh, the way that we are sort of failing to, 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 to follow through. So you're saying the insurance thing is just evidence of the, uh, the quick the speed with which this could change. Exactly. The insurance, the, the insurance is one example. And, I, and there's a few more, which we'll get to throughout the show. But the insurance is one example of. Uh, of an indication that the world we live in now cannot persist. Uh, it, it will not functionally persist. Sorry, I wanted to jump in like six times already, and I've been really restraining myself. Uh, this is the briefest interruption I can possibly make it. Um, so a reminder, for, uh, the, the, I think everyone knows, right, it was the whole survival of the fittest. The, the, the long interjection I wanted to make that I won't was getting into biodiversity and making evolution. Anyway, it was a whole side show. <laughs> the point is, Reminder that survival of the fittest depends on your def- not your definition, the definition of the word fit. It is not survival of the strongest or the fastest or the richest. It is the fittest. And fit is, de- is defined as the ability to adapt to changing conditions. So survival of the people who can adapt is what that means. It's the true definition and it is the only truth. And we have a story on that uh, coming in a couple up a future show. We'll have a conversation about that conversation. But uh, but it's uh, it, it's it's yeah, learning about what rich people are doing about climate change is terrifying. Going into Dave. Um, so on the heels of the Extinction Rebellion protests around Europe and the rel- and in the relentless flames of Greta Thunberg's remonstrations, UK opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn stood on top of a bus and promised to call for a parliamentary national emergency vote on climate change. And just this past Wednesday, without even going to a vote, the UK Parliament became the first in the world to declare a climate emergency. The declaration has no direct effect on policy, but it does show the beginning of a shift in politics towards a more objective and explicit discussion of environmental collapse. 
Corbyn said, quote, We have no time to waste. We are living in a crisis that will spiral dangerously out of control unless we take rapid and dramatic action now. This is no longer about a distant future. We're talking about nothing less than the irreversible destruction of the environment within our lifetimes of members of this House. Scottish and Welsh governments had already declared a climate emergency themselves, as well as dozens of other cities and towns across the UK. Extinction Rebellion tweeted, quote, This has seen lawmakers start to tell the truth about the climate and ecological crisis. They must now halt biodiversity loss, go net zero carbon, go, go zero carbon 25, go net zero carbon 2025, and create a citizens assembly. Greta Thunberg tweeted, quote, Historic and very hopeful news. Now other nations must follow, and words must turn into immediate action. George Monbiot agreed that this is an opportunity to hold politicians to their word and demand action. He told Democracy Now!, quote, What we can do now is say to members of Parliament, you've agreed to this, now you've got to follow through. You've actually got to work this through, see what the implications are, and respond accordingly. Uh, the BBC reported, quote, Environment Secretary Michael Gove acknowledged there was a climate emergency, but did not back Labour's demands to declare one. In fact, he said that rather than use the word emergency, he preferred to call the situation grave. And as Monbiot pointed out as well, right-wing media in the UK, and particularly those, in particular those heavily supported by the Koch brothers who have made billions in fossil fuels, have begun attempting to discredit uh, Greta Thunberg with personal attacks about her Asperger's and the high social status of her parents. As Aditya Chakraborty put it for The Guardian, quote, this is what it looks like when one side knows the jig is almost up. Yeah. And so, again, so this, that, that one's a little on the nose in regards to how we might be being left behind. You know, here's a major a nation making this kind of declaration. Now, of course, I love the one line in there, the, oh, this has no actual policy implications. <laughs> like, um, but but still, it's important, right? And, and, and I think it indicates the fact that, A, the, the success of the Extinction Rebellion to get, to get actually, to get some movement on this process, but also the fact that, you know, you have a, it's a that remains a conservative-led uh, parliament, uh, and so the fact that they were able to pass that is is indicative that there's some shifting there. Now mm. they, they are they're they're it's a rhetorical they're, shift. Right, it's a rhetorical shift, but it's still a rhetorical rhetorical shift is a shift. Of course, you know, it changes the fact that you know it changes the fact that the conversation hopefully can finally be put to dead. The first question you get even I got even a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to a talking to to a, a journalist from uh, George Brown who inquired about, you know, some people say that, that that climate change doesn't exist. Like, if that question can never be asked again, uh, you know, all you have to do is ask Exxon, and then they will tell you in the 80s they knew this was happening, and then we can move on. Perhaps all the MPs were just so, they really really needed anything, really, to distract them from the horror of Brexit. Well, exactly. Um, but I think, but what's important here to note is, is, is one of the ways this is an example of or the fact that this the sort of general concern I have of being left behind is the fact that as you get more and more of these declarations, all that has to change at that point is the rhetoric is there. Some this you just have to get you have to hold them to that rhetoric. And the moment they're held to that rhetoric, the moment you'll see start seeing movement. Um, and so and so that is that is the concern I that, that, that that's not again. The, it would be great if we did things. My concern this is more of a metaphysical concern for Canadians rather than a. Uh, it, it, if we are left behind, it means the world's moving forward, and that's better news for humanity. Um, but uh, if I was a Canadian interested in my own, say, pensions, mm -hmm. I might be a little more concerned. Um, but there's the th third story actually sort of goes against my thesis here, um, which is which is it's a, it's about the states sort of having some problems um, or or trying to get yet another pipeline through. Uh, but but let's go to that because because we only have a couple minutes before break. 
A handsome young pipeline protester by the name of Holden Demetrius is facing a felony terrorism charge for chaining himself to a piece of equipment to fight the construction of the Mountain Valley natural gas pipeline being built in Virginia. Protesters have been camping out in the trees in the pipeline's path since September, and now they believe they will be in it for the long haul. Demetrius said, quote, The Mountain Valley pipeline is one of the worst possible things we could build at this point in time. All the science suggests that fossil fuels are killing us. A 42-inch gas pipeline is the complete opposite of an appropriate response to the greatest threat our planet has faced. The group Appalachians Against Pipelines said, quote, When our comrades are thrown in jail for protecting the earth from being ravaged by the capitalistic tool called the Mountain Valley Pipeline, and when parents are separated from their children for defending their future, it becomes clear that the laws themselves are broken. Those breaking them are the true heroes. The same group had banners at the construction site reading, To hell with your permits. No borders, no prisons, no pipelines on stolen land. Yeah. Um, and so this is, again, the, the uh, just another sort of update on the constant and ongoing fight of what I believe, and this could be wrong, uh, I'm going to say Naomi Klein came, came up with this term, but it very easily could have come from someone else. I read it first from Naomi Klein, I shall say, of Blockadia. Uh, which is sort of the dispersed uh, uh, movement across the world who are fighting these types of infrastructure projects, um, because in some ways the people who are the, the, the people on the ground, you know, whether or not they are, uh, you know, fighting a mine in Greece um, or or a, or a pipeline in Mountain Valley, um, are are all operating from a, a similar sort of standpoint of. Our world is on fire, um, and maybe we shouldn't keep, you know, building Tinder, <laughs> like, um, and a, a natural extension of the of the proud history of environmentalists chaining themselves to trees. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the and these types of and, and you know this type of response and the way that this one is similar to the, you know, the way that Extinction Rebellion sort of managed to cause their sort of blockades in, in within London's own uh, economic system, and and so these are. The, this is the status quo. The status quo right now is that is that is that every single uh, or almost every. Um, I'd be very interested to know actually how many um, fossil fuel based uh, infrastructure projects are not being protested. Mm. You know what percent? Like, are there some? There but, must be a few. But terrorism charges. This guy's getting terrorism charges. Right. And there are people who agree with that. They say he's a terrorist. Well, and, and it's and exactly, and that is the and and that is that's the that's the other version of the response, right? There's one version where we create a better world. Um, and the other version is that we become eco-fascists. You know, we become a world where blocking into in this kind of infrastructure is is a is a terrorist charge. Um, and there is a pretty pretty long history of of trying to use these types of things to to stamp down uh, different rebellions uh, or re rebellions is probably the wrong word, but different sort of different like to use this against nonviolent action is is not uncommon, but it certainly is a terrible terrible precedent. Um, it should be noted, though, that the one, once a otherwise democratic and stable country starts locking up vast swaths of, of its populace, um, something is happening, and that's not necessarily an indication of it going in the wrong direction, because that speaks to desperation. So, I, I mean, as long as, uh, you know, as, we don't well, want we don't want any violence. I'm just saying that's usually that that's usually something someone who knows they have a weak hand does. And that's a desperate last attempt. So the response to that is just to get more people there nonviolently protesting and fill up the jails full of nonviolent protesters, right? Until it's absolutely inconceivable to actually continue doing that policy. That's how you defeat it. Well, and that's the Extinction Rebellion's basic premise, right? Um, and, and, and yet, 
it is to use like to use terrorism charges really is a dampening effect, right? That is a level of which, um, you know, you are trying to scare people not to respond. Uh, you're trying to use this, and and honestly, I I am uh, I to to as a somewhat segue uh, or, or or slight um, tangent on this. This is the type of thing I'm quite scared about uh, when we see uh, when the when the federal government makes a decision on on the new NEB ruling uh, for Trans Mountain. Uh, is that we will like there is a that like if if they approve it, which I pretty much expect they will, considering they bought it. <laughs> um, uh, they the that is going to be a huge fight. Uh, and I think if and something to pay attention to is is how the government responds to protesters. What what laws are they using to to respond? Mm-hmm. How are they responding? Um, because you know it, certainly you're going to hear the pretty strong push as we'll see soon from from Jason Kenney to do anything necessary to get this thing through. You know he's already trying to pick a fight with BC uh, and, and and refuse to give them oil um, as a as a as a way to force their hand. So there's I wouldn't say anything's off the table here. <laughs> Another fight I dare him to go after. By all means, they. Uh, like, I, I'd love to see that fight. Go for it. He's they. You will. It is happening. Um, and uh, but yeah. So this is you know. And and here, this is the world we're in right now. Um, and I think the the real question is, will we? Will we find the leadership uh, to to tack in the right direction, or will we be stuck, uh, you know, slowly descending into a world that uh, that is in, uninsurable, uh, that has that has you know concerns around uh, you know growth generally, and and that retracts, you know, like will we will we find ourselves you know putting up walls uh, and try, trying to both sea walls and and border walls, uh, or will we actually try to fix this thing? Um, and I think the next four to eight years will determine that a lot. Um, but let's go to music break because we are going to come back uh, with Lauren to talk about uh, about Jason Kenny, Andrew Shear, and Doug Ford. So as you can see, the second section uh, is right on track. Well, and just as luck would have it, I actually have a song by Andrew Shear. It's called "Can't Find My Heart." Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's <laughs> broken social scene. I'm so sorry. Can't find my heart. Well, uh, apologize while I uh, fumbled the ball there. <laughs> Yo, that, that that tone, that uh, phone tone went perfectly with the beat of that song. Did it? I did spend a while trying to figure out if the phone tone was a part of it or not. <laughs> but uh, Tell you what, uh, let's say it was. Okay. And <laughs> I'm, I'm now going to, uh, excuse me, if you, you can say. kill a moment, we're just going to, we're just going to, we're just going to keep rolling. All right. There we go. Um, so we believe we have, uh, I believe we, we'll, we'll be getting Lauren on the phone in half a second. Um, well, he might have hung up on her. Yeah. Anyway, this is the Green Majority. Yeah, on please, CIUT 89.5 CIUT FM. CIUT 89.5 FM. Yeah, our, our, a, the Sound of our City uh, sponsorship drive is next week. So mm. if you're listening to us on CIUT 89.5 FM, you'll hear us next week talking about uh, the importance of community radio and and the need we have right now actually to to raise uh, $100,000 is the goal. Um, and so you'll hear that next week. Uh, but you can get your you can get your donations in now um, uh, to cautfm uh, slash donate and uh, and let's say your favorite show is Green Majority if we are your favorite show and if we're not it would still be nice mm-hmm. um, and so uh, we are continuing our show uh, so the next three we're talking about three conservative uh, politicians all doing different things uh, about uh, in, in, in about the environment we have a little Trudeau in there as well uh, but Lauren thank you so much for joining us so happy to be here. All right, so let's start off with uh, with uh, with Jason Kenney. 
Uh, well, my first word is Justin Trudeau. Right, but it's related Jason Kenney. <laughs> so Justin Trudeau, whose already meager carbon tax efforts are being attacked in court by conservative premiers, is now trying to protect outgoing uh, Albertan premier Rachel Notley's meager Albertan emissions cap by promising to exempt certain oil sands operatives from his meager new environmental legislation. Notley, who has uh, just been replaced by Jason Kenney, a man who never completed his undergraduate philosophy degree, put in place an annual tar sands pollution cap of 100 megatons a year. It isn't clear what Jason Kenney will do with it, since he believes that the industry is nowhere close to hitting that cap, although critics argue that we can have no idea how close they actually are, since it has been found that so many projects constantly and majorly underreport their emissions. Kenny has, however, already threatened the very secession of Alberta over Trudeau's planned environmental regulations. The legislation that Trudeau is exempting these projects from has to do with stricter assessments and scrutiny over environmental practices. Everybody and their dog knows by now, however, that any real environmental assessment of the tar sands would recommend a funeral for the entire industry. Alistair Sharp reports for the National Observer, quote, McKenna's spokeswoman, Sabrina Kim, said that the environmental effects of projects that are not added to the project list would continue to be addressed by other regulatory regimes. She said, let's be clear, every project developed in Canada will, sub will be subject to the measures of Canada's climate plan. That includes methane regulations, a clean fuel standard, a price on carbon pollution, the phase out of coal by 2030, and as well as provincial laws and regulations. The kinds of projects that are exempt are known as in situ, which in this case means that they use steam to push bitumen up through pipes rather than digging it out with massive claws and spilling it all over the ground. The practice is easier on the surrounding area, but may require more energy. Trudeau's Trans Mountain expansion project would probably also be exempt, and it is likely that industry executives and lobbyists had a direct hand in deciding which kinds of projects would be exempted from the new regulations. Yeah. So um, as you can as you can tell, uh, this sort of goes along with the theme of that we are that we are heading in the tear growing direction. If only because of the fact that one of the goals stated is a coal phase out by 2030, not a fossil fuel phase out by 2030. Mm. Uh, and so, which would be basically which, which we're coming close to being required given given our timelines. Uh, but Lauren, I want to go to you for first thought. Uh, this whole thing is just so bananas. Um, just like the the. Uh, I can't use the word I want to use. Um, the mess that is uh, Bill C-69 um, and, and sort of what it has become, uh, the things it was trying to do initially or, or, what, or what we were told it was trying to do, reversing that damage that Harper caused with C-45 and C-38 back in 2012. Um, and that now it is just uh, it's in its current state, if it, were, if it were to pass, based on sort of statements that were made this past week to try to appease Kenny, it, it would do... I don't know. It, it's it's not going to better anything that Harper did in 2012. It's uh, so, so C69 is so messed up, and then you move on to the Alberta tar sands cap, which has always been ridiculous and inadequate, while also being kind of ineffective because it's still higher than than anything the tar sands is actually close to reach it. Like it's it's all just a big a big old mess, a big old mess. And the more you dig into it, the messier it gets. And yeah. Anyway, uh, the fact that like TMX or uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline under under this bill um, that is being reworked to appease Kenny would, would pass, the, or, or actually wouldn't even have to undergo a more rigorous assessment um, because of the parameters uh, that are, are so, 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 so narrow for fossil fuel projects to be, to be assessed under this act. So, um, 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah, like that's 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 sort of you know that's the, you hit the nail on the head there. That is that's you know we're creating legislation um, to make it easier to build pipelines that that cannot carry what they are expected to carry. Like it's not even it's it's not this isn't mm-hmm. a hyperbole hyperbole. Uh, it is it is a requirement for life on Earth that TMX is not working in 20 years. You know, like it's not that's yep. that's just a matter of scientific fact at this point, um, unless TMX is the only pipeline we're using across the whole world, which <laughs> sure, why not? But, you know, that's not obviously what's being planned here. And so and so it ke- I, I'm just stuck at this moment of I, I just don't see how we as Canadians are not just running towards a cliff, uh, you know, with, with, with this investment in these fossil fuel industries, um, it, one way or the other, just to me, it just feels like that's the, that's, that's the direction we've got. I'm sorry, just I, really important. I think this is the best place to stick it in here, which is that, um, that Dave and myself and several people here have, um, seen or interacted with, or just read so many people, even as of like last week who are still very happily and eagerly, Oh, climate change is a myth. We're not going to have that debate right now. But I would just like to point out that even though he's being incredibly disingenuous, and I would, I would, my personal opinion here uh, is that he's, he knows what he's saying is not true, which would make him a liar. Um, and at best is being extremely disingenuous that even these people, even Andrew Shear and Jason Kenney cannot bring themselves to say that climate change isn't real. They have to try and say they are doing something about it. And that message is for all those absolutely foolish people out there who are still uh, reading Alex Jones blog. <laughs> And, and, this, and the soft denialism of Trudeau has now seeped into the right wing, right? The, the, the version of we're doing something, but it's, but, you know, it's a coal phase out by 2075. It's like, thank you, Andrew Scheer. Uh, speaking of Andrew Scheer, um, he has, uh, he's making the news because, uh, obviously, we're up to ele- coming to election, and he's mentioned the world, word climate change recently, maybe? So if you don't believe that we need to completely change the basis of our economy to stop climate change, then look no further than the Canadian political scene, because Canadian politics is so tied up with the oil industry as to almost make the two synonymous. Federal Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, a man who could very well end up as our next Prime Minister, and who appears to believe that good old European-Canadian values are being destroyed by radical left-wing professors and Marxist lesbians, has been exposed as meeting in secret with Canadian oil executives to discuss election strategy at a luxury Albertan resort. He tweeted in response, quote, I will not apologize for standing up for Canada's oil and gas workers and to defeat a government that is intent on phasing them out. Oil and gas puts food on the table for hundreds of thousands of Canadian families, and I'm not going to let Justin Trudeau shut it down. Environment Minister Catherine McKenna tweeted, quote, Straight from Harper's playbook, Andrew Scheer has been caught scheming behind closed doors with wealthy executives to gut environmental protection laws, silence critics, and make pollution free again. Scheer also said, quote, We are a grassroots party. We don't have well-connected friends as we learn, that, as we learn today, funnel money through donations. We don't have the types of corporate buddies that Justin has. Oh, man. Oh, man. I know. For all of the hatred that I often spew towards Justin Trudeau, Andrew Scheer really makes, it, makes him look compelling. The... <laughs> it's a contest between a fool and a monster. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll mention one thing, then I'll throw to you, Lauren, half a second. Um, the, the fact that... Uh, I guess the question I have for oil and gas workers specifically, you know, the workers, not not the not institutions, um, is 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 where was the conservative government for you uh, the last time they created a bubble and then watched it burst? 
Um, where what did Harper put in and put in place that protected you and your family uh, when the, the when the bubble burst last time? Uh, what what has the conservative government done to support you uh, when you weren't working 60, 70 hours a week for these oil industries to make them billions of dollars? Because um, to, to me, that's the example of, of being there for these workers. And, and also, if anyone could explain to me what Justin Trudeau is doing to try to shut down the tar sands, I would love to hear it. But that's a separate point. Uh, Lauren, to you. I, I almost don't have anything to add to that, Steph, and that was, that was righteous. Um, I think the one thing that did come to mind, David, as you were speaking, is um, Marxist lesbians are actually kind of anomalous uh, because Marxism kind of doesn't take gender depression into account as much as we, as much as we would like it to. But anyway. <laughs> Such is the modern muddled, muddled rhetoric. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, like it's, 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 I shouldn't be doing this because it's not even an election cycle yet. Like we're barely into it, but like I've, I've already started tuning out anything Sheer says. Because as soon as he opens his mouth, it's, it's, you were, Saren was right when, when they said it's, it's, it's like choosing between a fool and a monster. And Andrew Shear is sort of both of those things. He's <laughs> simultaneously an absolute imbecile and yet calculating and cold and knows exactly what he's doing. He's, he's like Trump plus. Because he, he has slightly more wherewithal and slightly more knowledge of the damage he's inflicting. It's um, the difference between manslaughter and, and premeditated murder, right? You're both <laughs> guilty, yes. and you both need to be held responsible and taken into account for your actions. But one of you has decided to do it up front knowing exactly what you're doing and doesn't care, and the other one is just way too full of themselves to be paying attention to what they're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So to, to so we have there's one more story, um, and I want to get to it because it's one of those things that um, it's it's very very minor uh, in the in the stream of of terrible things uh, that that Doug Ford has done, um, uh, at least in my opinion. Um, but it also is one of those things that sort of feels indicative of the of the pure uh, carelessness, I think. Um, and it's it's and it, mainly because like it, it feels to be actually is a, a a conservative proposal that he still managed to managed to ruin, which is the Doug Ford's war on trees. So Ontario's Speaker of the House, Conservative MPP Ted Arnott, proposed back in 2015 that Ontario's initiative to plant 50 million trees be tripled to 150 million. That motion was unanimously endorsed in the legislature. Now, however. Doug Ford, premier and leader of Arnett's party provincially, has decided to stop having the government plant trees altogether. Under the program, landowners were charged 20 to 40 cents per tree, costing the province $4.5 million a year. And as Fatima Syed reports for the National Observer, quote, according to a recent Green Analytics report, the value of ecosystem services derived from the trees planted through Forests Ontario's efforts is conservatively estimated at $82.7 million annually, with significant benefits derived from pollination and dispersal, recreation opportunities, and nutrient and waste regulation. For every $1.80 that Forests Ontario spends to support tree planting, approximately $19.85 is saved in economic and environmental costs. As Damien Carrington recently reported for The Guardian, quote, recent research indicates that about a third of the greenhouse gas reductions needed by 2030 can be provided by the restoration of natural habitats, but such solutions have attracted just 2.5% of the funding for tackling emissions. And, and I think this is, this is a quick, very quick important note uh, about the concept of running a country like a business. 
um, which is that right now, if you if you t- if you sort of look into the sort of more more conservative sided uh, set of people who want to solve climate change, you know, who they, you know, yes, they believe the market's the solution. They believe innovation is a solution. Um, you'll see a lot of conversation about these sort of man-made uh, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere fans and things like that. Um, and, and how exciting and, and interesting that might be as in a way to, to manufacture our way out of this problem. Uh, right now, um, those, the cost of reducing one, emission, one, one ton of carbon emissions uh, via, via that process is about $200. I believe uh, if you plant trees, it's about five. And so I have a pretty simple math question. If I was the, if I was the, if I was a government dedicated to to tackling any storm climate change and wanted to do so on the cheap, trees are a pretty good answer to that problem, at least as one step. And so, and so to 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 write this off and instead try to you know instead pretend that you're doing anything to me is a, you know, it's it's a it's a four point five million dollar provincial cost, uh, which is so minor in, in, into the entire budget. And yet still it goes down, you know, and it's and it's it, it's one of those things where it's just like, why? But anyways, uh, Lauren, I want to go to you. Yeah, this is one that just feels super like gross. And, and the word I wrote down was like insidious, because I don't believe that a single conservative voter, if you were to knock on their door and say, what are the things you care about, would say, oh, you know, I really I, I really hate trees and I don't <laughs> want our provincial government to fund the planning of trees. The, it's, it's, you're right, it's, it's piecemeal from a budgetary standpoint. And, and the thing is, it's. You're, you're right in that it feels very small. It feels like something that isn't, by no means, is it, is it the worst thing that Ford has done recently. But it's, tree, trees provide us so many benefits when it comes to climate change, not just in mitigation, but in adaptation. I mean, like like when you're getting down to it, like the root, um, the root network stabilized soil to help prevent uh, floodwaters rising and runoff and, and things like landslides. And I mean, a large swath of trees, um, whether they're, once they get to a certain age, like help with like protection from the wind and, and trees within an urban environment, like counteract like the, the urban heat island phenomena that, that is going to be responsible for increasing numbers of deaths as, as we go forward. So this just, it feels so ugly and, and unnecessary to have done this to, to people living in Ontario. And it's, it's something that, that unfortunately like people are going to see because, the trees, like, like not only do they help from a climate standpoint, but, like, they, they just help make our cities a nicer place to live from an aesthetic standpoint and, and from, from an urban planning standpoint. I mean, like, if you were to speak to any urban planner, they would they would list the many benefits of having a tree in a community. Um, so, I don't know. It's like I, I, just, I don't see any benefit in, in having cut this minor budget line that, that – poses so many benefits for people in Ontario. Yeah, and then and I think it, I think it, well, I think it was a national observer also who asked for it about this and he claimed to not even know what was happening. Uh, he was like, "Oh yeah, I, I learned from the news." And you know, they told uh-huh. me that the ever uh, they they told me whoever they is. It was they told me that that the indus, industry plants 60 million trees. So this didn't matter. I thought you he know? was an excellent businessman <laughs> who was on top of everything. It's he doesn't sound very organized. We just got to text him apparently. Mm. Um but like but this yeah, this tree investment, you know, gives you 11 times the value uh, per tree planted. Um, and, you know, if anyone said I could offer you an investment that gives you eleven times the value back, 
uh, they are probably scamming you unless they're planting trees. Um, so like, what are we doing here? And yes, the industry does plant 68 million trees a year, but they also harvest those trees. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a part of a forest renewal program. Yeah, exactly. Um, and these ones would stay and we're a service to people. But anyways, I'm, I, I do not want to get trees too... are fantastic. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves trees. Everybody loves trees. Um, I think if I can just, the, the really important head to put on the point here is that, that like, I have a longer story again, I'll skip it. We're busy. Uh, but the, the main point here is that we do, we do, we do at some point also just have to recognize and understand and appreciate that there is just a section of the population no matter how we feel about it no matter what whether or not we like it doesn't matter there is simply a portion of the population who is going to be against things that they pay for that someone else might benefit from even if they benefit too because they're just psychologically and sociologically programmed to be that way that just some people just are like that so my point there is that that like we need to be doing these like those policies but this has been my broken record for the last five years which is that you're not out there also selling them don't just assume people are going to get it because you let the conservatives frame it and then you actually have good policies that people get elected to get rid of because you let the your opponents tell the the populace what they're actually doing and they lie to them about it yeah, this, I don't know. The the I think it's, I think I think you know I think Lauren's right. Everyone likes trees. Um, but uh, let's go. To, we're heading to music break and have a second. Uh, but Lauren, I want to give you uh, any last words uh, on anything at all before we get a break. Um. Yeah. If you have time today, get out and support your your local youth. Um. In in their climate striking, it's another climate strike today. Um. Across this land we call Canada. Um. And if you are in an eastern time zone, you have about fifteen minutes to get to your nearest strike. So. Get it and support your young people. Yeah, uh, take this uh, if you're if you're if you're uh, if you're listening to this alive. Uh, take the take the news and and go towards Queens Park. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll be there uh, quite shortly. Uh, thank you so much, Lauren. As always, uh, we'll chat soon. Uh, and let's go back to music break. The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. All right. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners all across this fine planet, which... At least at uh, noon here, just shy of noon here on on Friday, May third, is still greenish. Yes, we it remains greenish. Green, greenish, yeah, greenish is the right answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I before before I pass it to you for the final section, Stefan, I just need to do my obligatory reminder, folks, that next week, starting this Monday, technically for us, but a week from today, if you are listening live, it is our local CIUT membership drive. Here, this is a particularly if you heard our sort of special feature last week, it is a particularly important, very specifically this. This particular fundraising drive is particularly important due to many of the themes of the things that we've been talking about today um, and many other things. We're going to be getting into more detail. If you follow us on social media, we'll be sending out something as well. Uh, But the most important thing you can do right now, go to the website, CIUT.FM. You can donate. uh, There's a big button that says donate now and then uh, then put that for green majority as well. Uh, Or just go and find us on Facebook, download the podcast, something like that. We're going to have more information, show post, greenmajority.ca, that, everything. But next week, mark in your calendars or better yet, go to the website right now. Yes. All right. To the studio. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so to, I just want to like sort of close off the the thought process of of, of Canada because um, how how Lauren ended uh, the last section was actually kind of a perfect way to, to the perfect way to sort of finish, which is that 
it, to 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 recap, um, uh, we these are the problems that we face. You know, we we face a we face a a world of increasing uncertainty and increased uh, hurt. You know. Um, Hurricanes and and cyclones um, and typhoons are actually the, the 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 what are specifically the the hurricanes of the southern hemisphere, not cyclones. And have you learned what a cyclone is? I have not. No. No. But I've but I've remembered typhoons. Okay. Um, and you know we we so this is a thing. You know we exist in this world which is getting increasingly more uncertain and increasingly more dangerous uh, from a weather standpoint, and. And we have to, and any response has to, has to accept that fact and the implications of that fact. Um, you know, uh, for a climate justice lens, we must do something about this. Um, and we exist in a world in which more and more countries are waking up to the fact that we that this is true. You know, uh, the UK calling for a climate emergency, uh, as following many other countries, uh, cities all over the world. There's a movement. Uh, I believe Toronto just had just, a, just has, has a movement towards declaring climate emergency, slow, slowly starting up, um, and and around the world have made this made these claims. And so the the rhetoric is beginning to match. I think the the urgency uh, from from the from the sort of the the, the leaders in some ways. Uh, you know, we exist in a world in which uh, these pipeline projects, such as the Mountain Valley Pipeline or TMX, um, are are increasingly becoming a example of how uh, of, of of times of the past, and yet they're being pushed as the only real major infrastructure projects we're seeing. You know, there's there's the the amount of the amount of conversation that exists around uh, around energy, you know, around pipeline infrastructure. Can you imagine if even a fraction of that went to improving rail transit uh, mm. or or anything, right? Like, what if, what if Energy East pipeline was Energy East, uh, you know, rapid high speed rail? I would love a good train. You know, everyone like and like people. Not everyone likes trains, but I would say trains still still are fun. Uh, I like trains mm-hmm. uh, almost as much as I like trees. Um, and 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 this kind of, but I think what's important about that is that that kind of thinking is a shift in in, in actual understanding of 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 of, of 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 the nature of the country. Uh, you know, we've we're so long historically Canadian Canada has been a resource extractive country. We've, be, we've relied on the fact that we just pull things out of the ground or cut the trees down and sell that. And that's what we do. Um, and, it, and, and, there's, and the leadership right now uh, just seems devoid of, 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 of a really good response. Of any, how to, any new ideas. Any new ideas or how to galvanize anything, you know, like how to galvanize the movement. And, and I think what's interesting about this is, is especially as the, I'm not, I don't want to get into American politics, but especially as, as, as the American uh, Democratic elections come up, you're seeing people, some of the leaders in the states actually have ideas that feel Great, um, and feel like we're doing something, and so, uh, and then you know, and then with the with the the fat with the with the current crop of I, I still picture the McLean's article of the of the sort of of of, of about six old white dudes as the resistance uh, against I guess living in a sustainable planet. When was this? Um, it was about six months ago. It was Sheer. It was Kenny. It was Ford and a couple others. Um, and 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 it was this example of like these are the people who are fighting for. It's the status quo, bravely, you know, and it was, it was, I say that a bit tongue in cheek, obviously, but it, it, it was, it Donate was, to your local billionaire defense fund today. Exactly. Um, you know, and so, and this is, you know, all of this leads me to believe uh, that, that the, 
the kids are the like what's interesting uh, Greta Thunberg has one very good quote which is basically I'm too young to be able to be in power by the time action has to happen so you guys have to do this and I think that's very true um, but I also think that the the need for leadership coming from the youth right now is very very high uh, I think there's a the the, the movement uh, we're going we're to have an interview uh, not next week but the week after uh, hopefully a, a full length uh, hour long interview uh, about about the this idea that that youth can can be the drivers of climate action um, and the drivers of policy and the leaders of this country and I think we need that more than anything. Um, so if you have the chance to support the climate strikes either today or in the future, um, uh, I cannot recommend them enough because of the fact that honestly youth see a different world as possible, whereas the whereas the elder statesmen quote unquote um, uh, are so convinced that the way the the world existed when they were in their twenties will always exist. And it simply won't. Um, but but let's we have three sort of quick stories about about waste and recycling and plastics and trash. So let's let's get to those. Uh, Don't poo poo my show. plastics. I'm not poo pooing your plastics. I think you just poo pooed my plastics. Well, let's find out about plastics. A new study is showing how microplastics are blown across the world in smaller and smaller pieces, and are now not only on the highest mountaintops, not only in the lowest oceans, and not only in our drinking water, but they're also blowing with the wind and falling from the sky. The most common of these microplastics are coming from polystyrene and polyethylene, which are used in plastic bags and single-use plastic packaging. 335 million tons of plastics are produced every year, and we are set to increase plastic production worldwide by 40% over the coming decade, in exactly the same time frame that scientists are warning is our final window for stopping irreversible climate change. Uh, so we, I, we have an ongoing question on the show uh, for years now that I'm going to re- reiterate in case anyone has an answer to the question who's listening or has any resources to help us answer this question, uh, which is what happens to plastic if we stop subsidizing it so much as a byproduct of oil? How much would plastic cost? Is it financially viable as not if it was not a byproduct of, mm-hmm. of oil? Uh, I do not know the answer to that question. Um, but I think if we do expect... You mean because we subsidize the production of plastic through the subsidization, subsidization of oil? Well, no, because... Well, that, but also more specifically that extraction of oil creates certain set of byproducts which can then be used for plastics. And so yeah. you sort of... It's, you're almost getting it for free because you're making the money yeah. off the oil. Um, but it's a, it's a still more complicated than that, obviously. But this is a, a, a question we've wondered for years, and it's very, very hard to actually figure out the math on it. Mm. Um, so I'm just reiterating that question again. Let's go on to recycling. Ever since China stopped accepting almost all plastic imports, the U.S. and other wealthy countries have begun sending the plastic, uh, sending their plastic to poorer countries like Malaysia, which has become inundated with so much plastic trash that illegal recycling operations have cropped up, pervading small towns with the inevitable scent of burning plastic. Even the plastic that is clean and sorted and saleable internationally ends up sometimes dumped into the environment overseas or in recycling factories with poor labor conditions and waste management standards, since companies will seek the cheapest way to process their goods, and wealthy countries uh, have largely not bothered to develop their own recycling operations. Thus, even some environmental NGOs will prefer to have plastics end up in landfills in the U.S. rather than exported overseas where it is not certain where they will end up. Licensed recyclers in Malaysia are able to turn big profits off melting plastic bags into hot gray paste and drying them into pellets to then be made into toys and shoes and are actively seeking imports, but they are being hurt by regulators who want to to slow the flow of Western plastic scraps that's fueling illegal recycling operations and causing more pollution. 
Yeah, and so this is the the recycling ex- the industry, if you want to call it that, is at a serious crossroads right now, um, and it is in desperate desperate need of some of some useful legislation. Uh, you know, you've seen what Europe has been able to do over the past 10, 15 years of, of of making more and more of the producers of things be responsible for cleaning them up or picking them up, picking them up afterwards. Um, and that kind of effort has has yielded some pretty significant dividends. Um, and and it, it, that's an external externalization that you should be able to pull off or a easily. You know, like the the fact that we're externalizing the cost of recycling or just throwing it out or just letting it exist in our oceans is something that really should is one legislation require the people who are making some of the, most of the stuff, especially packaging, uh, take it back. And and a lot of this gets solved pretty quickly. Um, and in, it, there's no reason why we should not have this problems. Like at least there's like the, the larger question of how to recycle a lot of things is a much bigger question, but the idea that you can't reduce this problem at least pretty significantly with some decent legislation uh, has been proven relatively false. Mm. Uh, but we have one last story, uh, and we're coming up to the end. So let's, let's get into trash. So Canada has its own history of sending trash to poor countries. And recently, the Philippines has been demanding that Canada reclaim its bins and bins of toxic waste sitting in shipping containers in Mindanao Island uh, since 2013. Another example is the U.S. sending batteries to be recycled in Mexico, which has lower standards on lead pollution. Thus, like tax havens, which make rich people look poorer than they are, we have pollution havens, which make polluting countries look cleaner by sending their associated emissions overseas to be processed and then declaring that they have successfully reduced their emissions. It's an amazing trick, since tax havens not only make individuals look poorer so they don't have to pay taxes, they make rich countries look poorer so they have excuses not to provide social services to their citizens. In turn, pollution havens make rich countries look cleaner, so they have excuses not to act on climate change, when in fact they're just exporting their pollution to the lowest bidder and patting themselves on the back. Yeah, and this is this is the central problem actually with um, with a lot of some of the the ways we calculate countries' emissions. You know, it, the fact that uh, Canada gets only, is only responsible for what is actually used, burned in Canada and not for all of the stuff that gets ha- that either we send away or, you know, the fact that we make everything built or thrown out outside of Canadian wall, uh, Canadian boundaries and then brought in uh, is a great way to make it look like we're doing a lot better than we are. You know, the, the amount of emissions we're actually responsible for compared to the amount of emissions that are burned within the country is a pretty significant difference. Um, and the same goes, honestly, for the fact that we can pump oil here and then send it somewhere else. And suddenly we're also not responsible for that either. Right. The the ways of which rich countries are are, are able to fudge the numbers and blame the other uh, other countries for this for these costs is exactly why when you see here conservative politicians argue, say, why should Canada do anything when it's when it's, you know, China that has the most emissions possible? It's yeah, but we are the reason their emissions are this high. We are we are the reason that they are having to build this stuff, that, that, that they are the stuff they're manufacturing are, is coming here. Uh, and so it has to start with us because that we are respo- ultimately responsible. Um, and so, it, you know, that's, that's why this response of it's, we're just a small percentage is, is bunk. 
Um, it, it does, that's not a reasonable response. Uh, but we're heading up right to the end. So, Saren, read us out. Uh, so, just really quickly, people interested today in uh, lesbian Marxist uh, podcasts, they don't describe themselves that way, but it's, I don't think they'd be offended by it either. Uh, I recommend the actual podcast I actually listen to that I actually recommend called the Antifada, A N T I F A D A. Its tagline is your ultra favorite ultra left post podestic nihilist anarcho communist bordega adjacent comedy politics podcast. And it is hysterical featuring the wonderful Jamie Peck. So if you were serious about that, look it up, Antifada. Other than that, have a good green week, folks, and we'll see you all real soon next week for the fundraising show.